that we are wrapping up to give this coming year. Gift number one is the greatest gift that we can give outside of actually sharing the gospel with somebody. And in fact, it's the gift that should come before that, and that is the gift of prayer. And during the month of January, we will be spending that entire month on what we call Who's Your One? We'll be handing out some material to you beginning next week. We'll be asking you to pray about who the Lord would put on your heart to single out someone, a lost loved one, relative, friend, could be anybody, but someone who needs Christ to, to make that clear to you who you are to make a laser focus of prayer during the month of January. We'll be giving you prayer guides that will give you suggested prayers and scriptures and a, a bookmark you can put in your Bible to check the days off. And we're just going to lift up however many ones there are in, the, in, the, in, in our church. We're going to be lifting them up and praying together for all of those folks during the month of January. That'll be a prayer focus. I want to tell you that I think there is a strong move of God regarding prayer in this church. Um, I, I'm so grateful for those of you who have been coming on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and have been praying with us up until 10 of, and we, when we get ready for the service to start, it makes a difference. I know it's making a difference, and I'm so grateful for those of you that come and who pray with us. I'm so grateful for all of you who are lighthouses in your neighborhoods, and you are praying for the homes in your neighborhood. I'm grateful for all of you that will be participating in Who's Your One, and will be praying for lost people during the month of January. But I want to tell you, we are looking at and praying about other opportunities where we can unite together in prayer. And we're looking at some video conferencing opportunities where we might have three or four opportunities during the week that one of our leaders or an elder or someone will be online in one of our video conference rooms and you'll be able to join in at different times if you want to just stop in to pray with us. We're going to be looking for other opportunities to pray together. Uh, I, I volunteered that I would lead a midnight one. Uh, in, in Psalm 119, uh, David said, I rise at midnight to give thanks to you. And so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll offer to do uh, one night a week, and uh, we can, uh, some of you can join me at midnight. And maybe you'll need to rise at, uh, at midnight. I won't. I'll be up at midnight. I'm up at midnight to give thanks to you. And, uh, but we'll be looking for those, um, those opportunities to pray together. So I, I'm just thrilled. I, I love it. This year coming up is a critical year. It is an important and critical year in the life of this nation and the life of this church, I believe. I think the, 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 the year 2020, what's perfect eyesight? 2020. And, and I'm praying that the Lord will give us such, such a wonderful year of prayer that we'll have 2020 vision about what we're to be praying about and how we're to be praying, and that we will, at the end of the year, have some 2020 hindsight that we'll be able to look back and see how God led us and how He walked us through this year. So uh, be looking for those 
opportunities. Now, the second gift that we're wrapping up is a presentation of the gospel. Some of you will remember that a few years ago, we taught you a gospel presentation called Two Ways to Live. And right now, we're working on a presentation called the Three Circles. So, Peter, let's put up the first of, that, of those pictures that are in the little uh, the, the drawing that you can make on a table napkin or on the app on your phone. And it starts with the first circle, which was God's design. And we talked about this at length last week. The idea that God is good and that His design for the world is good. That when God created the heavens and the earth and when He got done with all of it and He created man and put him within that garden, it said that He looked on what He had made and behold, it was very good. God's design from the beginning was the best design. His design for human relationships, His design for human flourishing, His design for art and beauty and government and education, all the things that would come out of a flourishing civilization, His design for those things, His design for marriage, His design for parenting, for sexuality, for knowledge, for philosophy, for all those things, His design is perfect and good. And we have to be people who believe that God is good. We talked last week about the tension that people feel, particularly unbelievers feel, when they say, how can a good God allow these horrible things to happen? The world will tell you that either your God is uh, good, but He is powerless, because if He's good and He can't stop anything, that would make sense, or He's all-powerful, but He's not good. Because if an all-powerful God could do anything, then it's not good of Him to stop things that He could stop. And so, we talked about that last week. What's the reason that we are within this situation where we would bring up those kinds of questions about God? Well, if you go to the next uh, picture on here, what have we done? We have rebelled against God's design. We have rebelled against God's design. Everything we see around us today that is sorrowful, that has anything to do with evil, with sickness, with disease, with hatred, with bigotry, with, with war, with uh, a lack of peace, with a lack of compassion, uh, all of these things that we see around us that are negative, they're all the result of our having rebelled against God's design, His perfect plan. We've rebelled against that, and then Peter put up that next slide, and that has resulted in a world full of what? Of brokenness. Of brokenness. And it's, we can try to lay things at God's feet if we'd like. We can try to say, well, God, you should fix this. You should change that. You should do this. You should do that. But God is wise. He is wise. He is sovereign. He is good, but He is holy. And God would say simply to mankind, you are experiencing the impact of your rebellion against me. And to the degree that you turn to me and 
embrace my design, life would improve in your relationships and these different areas. But when a world rejects me, then that world will experience these types of problems that we've talked about. And so we experience both on a global scale, uh, a national scale, a local scale, and a personal scale, we experience brokenness. And we are looking for ways out of that brokenness. Now, the good news of that is what we call the gospel. We'll get to that little section next week. But I want to remind you of something in regards to sin. <laughs> it's always a great feeling when you think, okay, I've got to go preach on sin tomorrow. Because you just know people are going to are, are love to hear a sermon about sin. But it's important that... that we remember something because I'm, I, 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 this is so vital. You understand that we are living in a culture right now that is increasingly hostile to God, increasingly hostile to Christianity, increasingly so. And if you spend any time on social media at all, it's an onslaught of people disgusted with the church, disgusted with Christians, disgusted with God, and saying horrible and uh, terrible things against evangelicals in particular. And part of the reason for that, folks, is because their understanding of evangelicals is that we have certain issues, and we pick on those certain issues. We take a stand on certain issues. Now, are you saying, Jeff, we shouldn't take a stand on issues? No, I'm not suggesting that. But what I'm saying is this is that we have turned sin into issues rather than an attitude of rebellion against God. And as long as we try to convince people that the things you're doing are wrong or sinful, that is going to be a dead end for us. You can't tell a person who believes that their particular sexual orientation is one way they, and, and that they may be homosexual. I, I talk to people all the time. They're engaging in homosexual relationships. I, can, I could talk myself blue in the face telling them why I think that's wrong and not in accordance with God's design. But it's a dead end, nine times out of ten, because they have their own reasoning. And who's to say your reasoning is better than my reasoning? And so we can argue about those types of things. We can argue about different issues, and we can say, uh, well, this is our view about uh, abortion and the unborn, and, and well, this is our view about that. We can go back and forth. The world sees us as fighting them over issues. Now, again, I'm not saying we shouldn't take principled stands about things, but when you are seeking to evangelize the lost, that's not where to go. That's not where to go. Where you do go is to the issue of sin. And it's important to say that our problem, more importantly, God's problem with us is what the Bible calls sin. Oh, yeah, 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 sin, sin. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls that do, da-da-da-da-da, or boys that do, whatever, I know. Obey the rules, right? Because there's this performance mentality, right, that the world buys into. 
You see, the world says, yeah, you do good things and you do bad things. If you do enough good things, it offsets the bad things. That's the mentality that our world's in. When you say to somebody, well, why do you think you should go to heaven? What, they, what do they say normally? Because I'm basically what? A good person. I'm basically a good person. Compared to who? Compared to me. Compared to the things that I do that are wrong and the things I do are right, basically, I'm pretty good. Right? And, and we could all say that to some degree. We could. There's wonderful people in this world. They do so many good things. But see, here's the thing. The Bible, when it talks about sin, talks about symptoms and it talks about root. The symptoms are all these things that we see around us. The symptoms are what the Bible refers to like in Galatians as the works of the flesh, right? All these different things. We can say, hey, those symptoms tell us something about the state of the person that we're talking to. But you see, if you don't deal with the root, then all you're going to do is reinforce that behavioral performance thing. You've got to repent of doing this. You've got to repent of doing that. You, can't, you shouldn't do that. What you've done then is you've created a, a rung on a ladder for them to climb. Oh, so if I stop doing this, I'm going to be in better shape. Oh, if I start doing this, I'll be in better shape. Oh, oh God will love me more if I, if, if I change this and this and this, right? And you're creating a ladder for them to climb. You've got to kick the ladder out from under them. You have to kick the ladder out of, from under yourself all the time. Why do we say we need to preach the gospel to ourselves all the time? Because we are the same way. We will drift toward a performance mentality and we'll drift toward an area where we quit living in the grace of the gospel and we start to think about how we can do enough that somehow God's obligated to be nicer to us or do more for us. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Right? So the, the latter itself has got to get kicked out. We have to understand that if you don't deal with sin as a root issue, See, sins are what I do. A sinner is what I am. It's what I am. Now, sometimes people get mad at me. Oh, Jeff, don't, don't you believe you're supposed to say the right things like you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're above and not beneath. You're the head and not the tail. You're this and that. You're a child of God. You're redeemed. You're... Yes, yes, yes. I don't have any problem with any of that. I believe all those things. But let me tell you what enables me to rejoice in those things. Knowing how rotten a sinner I am. Knowing how desperately I need a Savior. And you know one of my favorite quotes from John Bunyan, right? What did Bunyan say? There's enough sin. Who remembers me saying? I've said this a two dozen times. There's enough sin in one of my prayers to send me straight to hell. There's enough sin in one of my prayers to send me straight to hell. You say, Jeff, how could John Bunyan say such a thing? Isn't prayer a good thing? Yes, prayer is a very good thing. It's a wonderful thing. It is. So is serving. So is giving. So is loving. All those things are wonderful. Let me tell you something. There's enough sin in my love for my wife to send me straight to hell. There's enough sin in my tithing to send me straight to hell. There's enough sin in my preaching to send me straight to hell. 
There is enough sin on my best day doing the best things I've ever done for anybody in the most selfless way I think I could possibly do them. There's enough sin there to send me straight to hell. Because why? Because sin is not simply things we do. It is a principle at work in us. It is in the fabric of who we are. This is why the Bible can say all of our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. You say, Jeff, I don't get it because the Bible talks about doing good. You say do good works. You preach that. You say, don't, you say Hebrews, right? Don't forget to do good and share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You, you tell me that when I go serve as a greeter or on the band or in a classroom or when I serve my neighbors, that it puts a smile on God's face. Yes, it does. It puts a smile on his face. And there's still enough sin in every one of those things to send us straight to hell. See, you haven't yet rejoiced as much as you can rejoice in this salvation because it is glorious. It's glorious. Let me read one of the quotes in the sermon note things here in the bulletin. I want you to look at the last one. I wish we had time to go through all these a little bit, but we don't. Let me just look at this last one here. Kierkegaard said this, and it's such so well said. Listen. He says, but too often it has been overlooked that the opposite of sin is not virtue. Hello? Please let that sink in. What is the opposite of sin? Goodness? No. What is the opposite of sin? Purity? Nobility? Kindness? The fruit of the Spirit? What's the opposite of sin? Kierkegaard says, it's been overlooked that the opposite of sin is not virtue, not by any manner of means. This is in part a pagan view, which is content with a merely human measure and properly does not know what sin is, that all sin is before God. No, the opposite of sin is faith. As it says in Romans 14, 23, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. The opposite of sin is not virtue. The opposite of sin is faith and the righteousness that is imputed to us, given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. So that my virtue does not have to grow enough or become good enough that somehow God says, okay, now you're good enough. No. Never offer anything to God for merit. Offer all you do for His pleasure. Offer all you do for His joy because He's a good Father and He'll take joy in that. He really will. He'll take joy in all you do when you're living in relationship with Him. I've been reading, some of you know I love Charlie Brown and this crew. I mean, love. I got a thing about Charlie Brown and his crew and... and um, I, I've been reading uh, all of the uh, 1952 comics that were published in uh, 1952, the first year they started publishing serially in newspapers. And um, 
and uh, Charlie Brown was on the scene in those comics, and Violet was on the scene. Lucy didn't show up for a long time, but Violet was on the scene, and Violet loves to make mud pies. And there is strip after strip after strip where she's talking about her mud pies and why this mud pie is not this good this time and why this dirt's not the best dirt and why this is not enough water and then, oh, I need to add some flavor to this mud pie. And then she's always offering those mud pies to other people. And other people are very complimentary of her mud pies. Oh, those are lovely mud pies, Violet. Very lovely. And I am sure that if Violet went home to her mom and dad, said, Mom and Dad, look at this beautiful mud pie I made, that Mom and Dad would be going, oh, that's very lovely. That's wonderful. Try it. Oh, sure, sure, I'll try it. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. Makes me so happy that you've made something for me. Puts a smile on any good parent's face, doesn't it? Puts a smile on your face when someone brings to you uh, something that they've made, right? Now, here's the thing. Some of you are trying to get into a bake-off with Jesus Christ. Hello? Some of you are trying to get into a bake-off with Jesus Christ. And you're hauling out your mud pie. And when you put that in front of God the Father, not as merit, not as earning, not as deserving, not as any kind of a quid pro quo, right? When you, when you put... When you put that in front of the Father, let me tell you what my mud pie is. You ready? I'm doing a mud pie right now. This is my mud pie. Some Sundays I do better mud pies than others. This Sunday's an okay mud pie, right? And I'm offering it to you. And because you love me and you're kind to me and gracious to me, you love me on my good days and you love me on my bad days, but, but you're always willing to accept my mud pie and, and some of you will at least give me a good word, Pastor, when I go out the door or whatever. Right? It's my mud pie I'm giving to you. And I stand before God and I say, Lord, I, I, I give you this worship and I give you this sermon and I, and I give all these things to you. During the week, I give you my prayer life. I give you my offerings. I give you my love for my family. I give you my love for my children. I give you the prayers I pray for the Lord. I give you all these things. Lord, my service, I just want to keep giving these to you. And the Father says, wonderful, son, wonderful. I'm so well pleased when you bring those things to me. I just am loving it. I delight in it. And what I don't necessarily see, but is always the case, is all of that's coming through the gift of His Son, right? And the righteousness He gives me through Christ, right? But He's receiving it, and He's loving it, and oh, it's so good. But if I step up to the Father, and I said, so here's this, uh, here's this message I preached today. Uh, Jesus, come here. So that whole Sermon on the Mount thing you did? Yeah, let's compare, see who's got more juice. <laughs> All right, let's, let's, let's offer them both to Father God, and let's, let's see who he's going to... All of a sudden, his attitude toward my blood pie is going to be a little bit different, isn't it? It's going to be a little bit different. If, if I say to the Father, Father, here's a... Here, I, wanna, I just want to wrap up 2019. I got a big, long list of things I've done this year. 
Uh, here's my tax-deductible tithing sheet right here uh, to show you, and uh, here's my prayer journals, and uh, here's my all these things that I've done, and, uh, uh, and I, just, I just think you ought to take note of that, and um, it, it should really uh, impress you, um, and I, I think you should be receiving me with, you know, with more, um, more love because of how great I've been. And oh, uh, uh, Jesus, yes, come on, come on in. Oh, here's the, here's the agony of the cross. Here's the pain you've endured for, for mankind. Here's all that you have done for me. Well, that's good, Father. But this mud pie of my making, don't you think it's good too? And you see, in that moment, the father can only look at me and say, no, son, that is filthy and dirty. It's filthy rags. Get it out of my sight. Why? 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 Because you're trying to get into a bake-off with my son. You see, I've already accepted what he's done on your behalf, and nothing greater than that can be done. Nothing greater than that could ever be done. I have, I have offered you a gift of righteousness. I made my son who knew no sin to become sin for you, to take your sin to the cross so that by faith you could surrender to him and not have a righteousness of your own. Not have a righteousness of your own. Put the first scripture back up, uh, Peter. We've got to get to a close here real quick. Let's just look at this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the what? Apart from the law. You and I can't get righteous enough through law keeping. You and I don't have a prayer of getting anywhere near anything meriting salvation on our own. The world needs to know we can't do it. I don't have any claim on God's love. Not a bit. There's a righteousness available, though, apart from the law. The prophets and the law bear witness to it, but this is the righteousness of God, not my righteousness. My righteousness through my law-keeping is nothing more than my righteousness and its filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. There's no class. There's no ladder. There's no merit-based system that some are higher than others in. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. He spends the whole first part of Romans taking apart the Jewish argument for their righteousness and taking apart the Gentile excuses for what they do. And he says there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what you have to do when you are talking to people about faith in Christ and talking to them about repentance you cannot tell them, hey, you need to repent from doing that thing. No. Repentance means we turn away from our rebellion against God 
God's design is perfect. He's not looking for your virtue. He's looking for your surrender. He's not looking for your efforts to improve your life. He's looking for you to lay down your arms and quit fighting against Him. He is looking for you to say that, yes, I have lived my life my way. I have done what I wanted to do. I have lived without reference to God. I have lived without reference to His law, to His being, to His design. I have lived without reference to that. I have been the captain of my own destiny, and your ship has run aground, and there's nothing you can do to get it free. God is saying to you, quit fighting me. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not stop doing drugs. That's, not rep- that, that's stopping doing drugs. That's not repentance. Repentance is to quit fighting God. To say yes to God. To say, yes, Lord, I will do the thing that you're asking, which is to surrender. And I will accept, Lord, your gift of righteousness. I'll quit trying to pile up enough of my own mud pies to offset the other stuff, thinking I'm doing something really great when all it is is a pile of dirt. I'll quit doing that. And I will accept and receive the gift of your righteousness, what the blood of Christ does for us when He puts us in right standing with God. I will surrender. I will turn away from living life without reference to you, and I will surrender. Do you understand what I'm saying to you, church? The difference, it's, it's big. It is a big difference. Because if you get stuck on issues, the enemy will use that to sidetrack you and to derail the gospel presentation. Don't get stuck there. When someone says, well, what about this? Say, you know what? That's not the issue. Yeah, well, what about doing this? You know, I, some people do. I don't do. That's not the issue. So I suppose if I have to say yes to your Jesus, I got to do this or stop doing that. That's not the issue. Here's the issue. Will you surrender? Will you quit fighting? And will you say yes to God and leave all that to Him? He'll tell you what to do. He'll lead you what to do. But none of that happens until by faith you say yes to salvation through Christ our Lord.